It's Sunday Social with Vaughan Davis. Welcome to Sunday Social on what is quite the wintry weekend around the place. I'm Vaughan Davis, got one heck of a show for you. So snuggle up, pull that granny blanket over your knees, turn the heater right up and stick with me for the next hour. As always, you can text me 3920 keyword live and be part of the show. That'll pop up right here in front of me in the News Hub studio. Tweet me at Vaughan Davis. I would just love for you to do that. In fact, if you're not on Twitter, that's a reason to get on Twitter right now. At Vaughan Davis makes my little phone go buzz buzz and my heart go pitter patter. Later on, Mr. Paul Brislin joins me with the apps, websites and interesting online stuff of the week, including including some digital means to get through that difficult second week of the school holidays. First, though... Picture this. You're sitting in a pub, make it a pub in Nelson, sort of a gastro pub place, and you're there on a work trip and there's a few people around and for some reason the, the conversation steers itself around to the idea of islands, specifically how many islands are there in New Zealand? Oh, maybe a dozen. Oh, that's got to be more than a dozen. Hundreds maybe, maybe there's a thousand. You just don't know. If only, if only there was some sort of website took known information, particularly public information, like how many islands there are, and made it easy to access. Well, there is. It's called figure.nz, and its founder and boss, Lillian Grace, joins me tonight. Lillian, welcome. Thank you. Hi. How many islands? <laughs> More than a thousand. More than a thousand? Yeah. Have, we, ha- have we even had this conversation we before? Have had have this we had this conversation. We have? Oh, when we were on an island. Oh, and, oh that one time. That one time that on that one, one time, island. That's right. But there are far fewer that, ha- that are populated. I think it's about 40. I know I shouldn't say I think. I should say I know. But in this case, I think it's about 40 that we have that, uh, that have people living on them. And there's 960 that we think are just below us. Well, in fact, they yep. aren't. They're probably, <laughs> they're probably below, below the, the high tide mark, in, in fact. So, figure.nz. Tell me about it. We think numbers are a language that hold lots of our stories. And so, um, for example, it could be knowing that there are 42,000 Labradors or 16 regions or how many mushroom farms do you think there are? Oh. You knew I was going to ask you a question, right? Yeah, I'm going to go for, I'm going to go for 100, 100 mushroom farms. All right, 24. Yeah, well, whatever. Yeah, so we, we, all of those kind of numbers. They, all they, the mushrooms in New Zealand come from mm. 24 farms. Yeah, well, how many have you seen? I could, I could buy all those mushroom farms. How many mushroom farms have you seen before? Well, I don't know. I might have seen them all. Yeah, you might have. But because it's I don't know what one looks I like. I, think I don't mushroom, think I've seen one. I think a mushroom farm must look like a chicken farm a little bit because they're all indoors. They're sheds. They're long sheds, yeah. right? I, I don't remember ever seeing one, but I do know that they went from 15 to 24 quite quickly, so someone's doing something out there. Someone's totally doing something out yeah, there. So, so, so interesting facts and figures, stuff you never knew. Oh, I never knew that. Figure NZ is in the business of surfacing that stuff and making it available to us, right? Yes, because all those numbers used to be, I mean, they've been held in lots of spreadsheets and databases spread around hundreds of different websites from people that collect the data. And so it's just too hard to find and use for most people. And we've always thought as a society that numbers and data is for experts only. And so we're the first organisation in the world to say, actually, 
easily, if we can put them into a way that everyone can digest, it's something that everyone's capable of using in their thinking. Because the whole idea of a, a statistician, a statistician sounds a bit like a mathematician, which is a scientist, and you know, typically you think of this, this the guy off the Simpsons, right, with the white yes. coat and the little glasses. Yeah. That's who you had to go through to get that information yeah, and in, in the past. Yes, and you still totally need statisticians to take you know, raw data and to treat it in a way that then can be digested as the numbers that we use on figure.nz. But we used to also get them to tell us the meaning of all of the numbers as well because it was too hard to look at the output of what they were doing. You'd show most people a database and say, what do are, what are these numbers in this table mean? And it makes no sense. And so we take the responsibility of saying we actually need to use language that people understand. We need to present it in ways that people can become familiar with and use. And so uh, this week I've been down in Nelson at an event called Inspire, teaching a bunch of five year five to year eights and our theory of even children are capable of understanding and using numbers and data to, to shape their thinking. And it was amazing, like sitting there with these nine-year-olds and I showed them this chart that has the number of dogs by breed throughout the country. 24,000 Labradors. 42,000 Labradors. <laughs> there's a two, same, there's a two, there's a four. Thing. Lots of Labradors. Lot, many, many more Labradors, Labradors than you'd think. And, and they're quite big dogs, so the, the actual weight of all the Labradors would be yes, quite a big number too. it would be. And I'm going I'm 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 to go for something like 100,000 kilograms of Labradors. No, more than that. How many? 42,000 42,000. And they weigh about 20, 20 kilograms each, Let's I reckon. And up. Yes. Yeah, so eight. Yes. Eight million kilograms. A lot, a lot of Labrador. Yeah, a lot of Labrador. And more Labradors than any other than any other dog. And so I showed them this this chart and said, you know, what what could be happening, or, or who would care about these numbers? And these these children said, oh well, if you had a pet store, you would want to make sure that you had more dog food for the big dogs than for the small dogs. I'm like, yes, and just like they're totally capable of understanding when you invite people to be curious rather than saying, oh, this is a chart and this is what it means, therefore believe what I say. So we're saying actually let's start inviting people to be curious in terms of how they think with numbers. And joining the Nelson Dot, of course, because, you know, Nelson, Mapua, places like that are really leading the charge and getting rid of supermarket plastic shopping bags. You can see where I'm going with ah. this. So you could you could do some pretty easy stats and go, well, this is how much Labrador poo-poo yeah. you're going to have to deal with. And if you don't have supermarket shopping bags, what are you going to do with it? Yes. Well, there are... Evidence-based policy. And Nelson, there's only a couple of hundred Labradors. I hate Nelson. Yeah. <laughs> what are the, what, do, do they just not like? They just don't like Labrador. So maybe it's leading. Maybe they're going. The writing's on the wall. They're going to get rid of because Nelson's full of hippies. You've probably got slides on that too. We don't have the, any data on hippies, actually. Jeepers! You've got to, defi you've got to define yeah. it. Um, gonna, they can see the writing on the wall. We're getting rid of plastic um, supermarket bags. Therefore, it's a bad place to have a Labrador. So yeah. that's why that's happening. Now you talked about charts, and you know, if if, if you haven't listening, if you haven't gone to figure.nz and had a look already, it's worth describing because you don't see a lot of spreadsheets. In, in fact, unless you dig and dig and dig, you don't see spreadsheets. Yeah. And you don't see a lot of words and numbers, but instead you see charts and maps and pie charts and bar graphs and things like that, right? Yeah, so well, no, no pie charts. But oh, why no pie? I, oh, love, I love pie charts. I know. Yeah. Sorry, no pie charts. Um, but there's, yes, a, there's just, a place. There's a place for them. Yeah, so we so you can get all the raw data um, behind everything that we present, but we try and surface it into a simple visual form in ways that everyone can f that can use easily and use a really consistent way of drawing up the charts. You know how often you see charts in newspapers or in other places, and they're all different, like different standards for how their titles are used or where the axes are labelled oh, and all that stuff. And, and sometimes they just they just tell such lies because you look at that and you go. 
you know, here's, here's column A and column B in a, in a, in a bar chart, and, and column B looks three times as big as column A, and then you realise that they're not, they've not they, started yeah, at zero. They've exactly. started at 1,000 or something, and it's only a slight difference. Yes. So you've got to be consistent, right? Yeah, so we standardise all of that stuff, so everything is treated the same. And there's about 40,000 charts at the moment. 40,000? Yeah, almost That's as many as Labrador's. You should, do a, <laughs> you, should do a chart, you should do a chart plotting the growth of the number of charts. Have you done that? Yeah, but we don't have it published, oh. but we will. Well, we were totally no well. one's going to care. Yeah. You, you'll care. We no care. one else is going to care. Yeah. Um, and, and there's about 800 kind of thematic maps, so maps that show data um, visually spread over the, the country. So you've got these charts, 40,000 charts, yeah. figure.nz, and they show information about New Zealand only, right? Uh, we also show New Zealand compared to other countries. Okay, but yeah. New Zealand is the focus. New Zealand well, is totally our focus. Where have you gotten this information from? From heaps of different sources. So there's about 375 different government entities that have data. StatsNZ is, you know, the, the one with the official statistics and we get a lot of our content from there. But there's also lots of other organisations, even think of like the National Public Library. They have a spreadsheet each year that shows how many books are borrowed from each from each library and therefore what the average cost of book borrowing is. And it's interesting, in some small towns, the average cost of... Um, each book that goes out is, is more than buying a book. It's about twenty four dollars. Oh, you whereas might as well. in some big cities, it's like two dollars. So, so you'd do better if you're in Fielding or Featherston or wherever the flip to just open a paper plus. Yeah, and, and just well, like, hey, maybe go not th- maybe not for the community, but yeah, oh, yeah, go go there buy. A, well, that oh, that's true. Yes, because yeah. the, the the person's got to actually pay for the book rather than get it for free. Yeah. So what I when I saw that data, the thing I thought was how awesome is it that we are choosing to invest. In, you know, in libraries despite the disparity of how much it costs in different places, but we're, you know, making each community is served in the same in the same way. So where does the doggy data come from? Which government department that cares what sort of dog I own? From the Department of Internal Affairs and they get their data from the local councils. So ah. you go into a local council, you register your puppy and that, that gets captured. And so and that's actually a really good question because a lot of our the, the numbers that we have come as a byproduct of a service. So you register a puppy or you um, register your dog or you are on the benefit or you get a student loan. And so those are services and mm-hmm. the numbers are captured and they suddenly become our data sets. The really interesting thing about that, though, is is that that's most of the data that we have is, ca- is captured like that. And so we haven't actually stepped back as a country to say, what do we actually care about and are we measuring the things that we care about? Yeah, well, that, that's a question I was going to ask you. 40,000 charts, how have you decided what you care about? How have you decided that it's um, dog breeds or mushroom farms that you're going to you know, share with the world? Yeah, it's a, it's a, there's a few different ways. So we're a charity and so one of the ways that we get revenue, because it's free for everyone to use, is that people that have data engage us for data publishing services. So they go, right, we've got these data sets and we want to get them out there and get them used. And rather than building their own system, they pay us to take them and to process them and to actually get them used. And so we've prioritised based on who engages us for projects, but then there's a whole bunch of other stuff that we do because we know people find it interesting. So crime and property data is stuff that people search for the most. And then we also um, we step back and go, have we got the right array of things? Are we not discovering economic data that people um, that's you know people assume people might want? But are we also covering environmental and social data as well? Talking to Lillian Grace from Data and Stats website, I guess figure.nz. Back soon. Sunday Social. Welcome back to Sunday Social. I'm Vaughan Davis. With me from website figure.nz, Lillian Grace. Welcome back. Thank you. Hi. 
Now, we were talking before the break about how there are 42,000 Labradors, 24 mushroom farms. Another really interesting fact that's made it onto your website, and this is something I think we, we've all never stopped to think about, and maybe that's kind of the point of figure and It's the stuff we've never stopped to think about. And this is what defines a region. So if I live in Northland or Auckland or Bay of Plenty or Waikato, I know I know that I live there and I roughly know where the borders are, but I don't know why they're, they're there. And this obviously got you thinking too. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons I love numbers is that it's not about the data itself, it's how it leads you into asking different questions. So we started looking at, at regions and so there are 16 regions throughout New Zealand and there's three that have more than 500,000 people living in them and there are five that have between just 30 and 50,000 so massive difference mm. in population size and also in geographic size and I was thinking heck like, what on earth then led to the definition of, of the boundaries because I always I, I had two theories yeah. and uh, you know spoiler alert they're both wrong <laughs> my, my first theory was that somehow related to that, that brief dalliance we had with provincial government in the 19th century and my second theory that was to do with rugby because most things oh. are <laughs> what's wrong with that because most of the regions you talk about yeah also have a rugby team associated with them, right? Yeah. So, 16... Well, right, yeah. Well, good try. <gasps> no, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Not quite there, but good try. But um, I was, yeah, I was fascinated because the answer is, um, I got one of my team to, to, to look it up, and it's that um, they're unique water catchment areas. And so that's why they're so different in terms of size and in terms of population. Right. So, which actually actually relates really interestingly to that whole idea of you know the the, the Maori sense of where you come from. Yes. Right. So yeah. my river is actually is the same kind of the same as my region is. Yeah, it's really interesting because I mean it clearly shows that there was a an understanding of how you know water flows down and is all connected, and you need to be thinking about it as a system, not just carving it off and thinking about one part of a system. And there's something about that that I love to understand now that part of our governance structure, so the regional councils, was based on that understanding, and it's something that we've almost forgotten. Like I'm sure some people know that, but in terms of the the public kind of story behind it, we've forgotten that. And and, and of course one of the responsibilities of the regional councils is to look after water use and water rights and water quality and it's actually no coincidence that that's what's defined their jurisdiction. We talked before the break about where the information comes from, so 160 something government departments or government agencies. Yeah, 375. So 375. Yeah. The numbers, same is, thing, same I thing. need charts, I need charts, yeah. see numbers, they just don't work do they? Um, we've talked about where the stuff comes from, but who's using it? Who uses these 40,000 charts that you've, you've published? Yeah, it's um, a total variety of people. So some could be students in school. Is not there a chart? <laughs> no, there's not. Oh, all these things, you, you've got to chart, you know, chart, oh, chart, chart I yourself. I'm like I'm totally failing you Now, this that. could be a pie chart. Yeah, this you could give, be a pie give, chart. Give me that. Okay. This could all be right. a pie chart, right? Um, and so what's been interesting with schools is people often think, oh, is it maths classes? And I'm like, no, because if you're sitting in English writing a story about, say, the ocean or about the history of Nelson or something, there's so many numbers that are relevant that help make that story more kind of cohesive and robust. Mm -hmm. And so it's um, across different kind of classes and different um, schools, different it's also people that are running businesses that might want to understand um, their customers or how the industry is growing or if you're a, a plumber in Tauranga, you're wanting to know how many bathrooms per bedroom is, no uh, sorry, per house is normal. 
um, or if you're a community group wanting to understand the, the area or the topic that you care about and what region has the highest rate of youth that aren't um, in work or training. And so it's, it's a whole mix of things. And um, it's been really interesting because often we don't know who the people are, right? We can see people come to our website. We mm. also send all our content out to lots of different media sites and things. And, and it's when I just bump into someone on the street and they say, oh, yeah, I use your stuff all the time in this certain, you know, to make business cases. And it's, it's amazing to, to see how far and wide it's going. So clearly it's valuable information, but you don't ask people to pay for it. So where does the money come from? How does it all work? Yeah, so the, well, the the reason for that is because, I mean, if you think of something like Wikipedia, the reason it um, it works and it kind of democratises information is that it's free for everyone to access. And so that's the reason I set figure out, figure NZ up as a charity, is saying, actually, if you charge, then we'll be increasing inequality of information rather than uh, actually empowering everyone. And so I had to be kind of creative about where the money comes from when it's both a charity and you're not going to charge people to use stuff. And so the data publishing as a service having people pay us to take their data and um, and publish it and get it used. Mm-hmm. But also, um, so ASB Bank are our main cornerstone sponsor and they've been making us for the last couple of years, which makes a massive difference to our security to be able to get employees rather than just contractors. Mm-hmm. And um, recently we've got 20 other organisations to come on and uh, to back us for the next three years so that we can start just moving faster without having to do little projects. And how did you come up with the idea in the first place? Was it sort of a gradual awakening that, oh, this might be a good thing, or was one of those light bulb moments? Yeah, it was a light bulb moment based on um, being exposed to a bunch of data stuff. So I actually started my career as a high school PE teacher, and um, from there went and worked at a tech company called Massive Software for six years, and then worked at a think tank. And the relevance of those things is when I came to the think tank, the New Zealand Institute, and I opened up a couple of databases, like StatsNZ and the OECD database, and I'm like, what is this? There are literally thousands of stories sitting in these places online. And because I hadn't grown up using numbers and data and statistics, it was just this whole eye-opening kind of experience for me and then went out and um, when we would do work whether it was on social economic or environmental issues we would show people really simple charts and I used to think that everyone was pretty complacent about the future in the country most people just didn't engage or didn't care and I was completely wrong about that and actually have not found anyone that doesn't care it's more that people don't know how to engage and when we showed these simple charts and I could see people go oh literally one woman said to me that chart is going to make me work harder at my job because I didn't realize that was our situation and so I just saw that happening time and time again and thought so the data exists and people want it and they're capable of understanding when it's really simple so why on earth don't we use it and just realise there's a massive difference between something that's technically available and something that's actually usable Mm -hmm. and that because, you know, before the internet, all of these data sets existed spread around the country and couldn't be connected. So we're in a time where you can join things and share things that we couldn't do it before. So the the data, just to pull it back a bit, the, the information is available anyway and was available i could have gone to some government agency and and said how many labradors are there and i would have got a letter back some weeks later telling me forty-two thousand. but really what you're doing is centralizing it standardizing it and simplifying it yeah because at the moment or or before figure nz our data was organized by source 
by that I mean you had to know who collected it before you could find it. Mm. And so if you don't know the name of all of the 375 government entities and the name of the data, the, the spreadsheet or whatever that the numbers are held in, then you just simply can't access it and use it, even though it's technically available. Of all the, the data stories that you've uncovered, those 40,000 charts, what, what's one or two that have really surprised you, made you go, wow, I, I really never expected that? Ah, one of my, my favourites, and it's one of the first charts I ever made, actually, and it was when I was still making them by hand um, back in 2012, and it is our meat consumption per capita. And so the data was from 1970 to about 2010, and it showed that Every year, per most people, it's um, we consume the same amount of meat, and that, that hasn't changed. But we now eat six times more chicken than we used to. Six times yeah. more chicken. And half as much. It's a bad time to be a chicken. Beef and lamb. And so the mix has changed shapes. And the reason I find found that really fascinating is because... You know, that's a period that I've lived, and I remember that change. Like, when I grew up, we would have chicken once or twice a year, and, and now it's like a normal... Like a Sunday, a special yeah. occasion, the yeah, roast chicken. The roast chicken, mm. and once we had apricots with it, and that didn't go down well at all, so another mm. six months we had to wait. And, um, and so I've experienced that, and so looking at the data, it wasn't surprising, but what it made me realise is if you grew up now, you wouldn't know... That, that, had, that change had happened? You wouldn't know that there was once a glorious age where we would sit down regularly to eat cow yeah, and, and sheep and, 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 and mutton and, and stuff. And, and, instead of being fobbed off with chicken and being told it's meat. Yeah, so one of the reasons I loved that chart so much was just realising what we're doing is not just surfacing you know, answers to questions that people have today, but also allowing people to understand the history of our country or how regions compare to each other. Another example was um, frosts. So I grew up in Hawke's Bay where we had uh, quite a few frosts in winter and I just thought that was a normal part of growing mm. up in New Zealand. If you go up right up north, there are none. Well, there's like one every 10 years or something. And so looking at a chart, you, you suddenly understand that there is no such thing as normal, that there's a whole continuum of experiences, uh, even just in our country. Hey, Lillian Grace from figure.nz, thank you so much for joining me tonight on Sunday Social. You are welcome, thank you. It's Sunday Social, an hour dedicated to social media with Vaughan Davis. And welcome back to Sunday Social. I'm Vaughan Davis. Joining me once again, regular panellist, Mr Paul Brislin. Paul, welcome, how are you? Oh, I'm jolly good, how are you doing? I'm doing super well. So your, your day job, of course, is PR, so you can't really tell me what you've been doing this week because oh, no. you're a hidden persuader. <laughs> I you're, sit behind the scenes and behind, manipulate the press. Behind yeah, the, yeah. You, you might be manipulating me even as we speak. Even as we speak. No. Oh. No, no, no. I wouldn't no. know. You're in advertising. What I, do you know about manipulation? Does that make I mean, me better seriously. or worse? I'd, I'd need to um, trust those Reader's Digest most trusted profession surveys. Right. Probably down in the 90s. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> down, down, down there below used used um, hearing aid salesperson. And, and MP. And yes. MP. And, mm. and, and there we would be. Hey, um, you know Lillian Grace, don't you? I do. You know I Lillian know Grace Lillian. from the yes, first half. Yes. Very, very interesting business. And of course, you can listen back to that interview at radiolive.co.nz under Shows and Sunday Social. That should be up there by the time the show finishes. Or go to uh, go to iTunes uh, if you're a podcast person and uh, just search Vaughan Davis Sunday Social or Radio Live and you'll find that interview. Are you, do you use um, Figure NZ? Oh, I do. I was using it this very morning for some research into solar energy for were a client. You? I was. Were you? And, what, yes. what, and, and so what were you searching for and what did you find? Because this, this is interesting. Uh, well, I, um, I was searching to find out how much solar power is used in New Zealand uh, and they had a series of graphs and charts about um, different energy levels 
by city across New Zealand, which was fantastic. Uh, and that led me on to a report held by the Ministry of Business, Innovation and Everything, uh, all about energy use that was put out uh, late last year. Look so that. that was perfect. Perfect. Two clicks and I was there. Figure.nz. Hey, so, so one, of the, one of the really interesting points you make, the number of clicks you have to make to do something online, mm. it's one of those big measures, and it's something I've noticed in swapping from uh, iPhone to Android, and it might just be me, or maybe it's the design of the thing. Sometimes it's taking me a few more clicks You've got to, a do, few more? Yes. to do my yeah. regular And it's noticeable, thing. isn't it? It is noticeable, because I don't have time to do three clicks. Oh, I've only no, got time, but I'm a busy person. This thumb? Click this, and a half, this, that's your lot. This thumb is fully occupied. Yep. Um, Swipe left. But the cooperative bank, which I will be honest, Paul, mm. doesn't leap into the front of my <laughs> mind as, as a hotbed of digital innovation, but the cooperative bank you're claiming has done this one good thing with their app. Tell but me about they it. Are, they are a hotbed, and, uh, and I should disclaim at the moment that I do also do some PR work for Paymark, which is where all this uh, originated. More hotbedding. More hotbedding. And uh, so what Co-op has done is introduced uh, online FPOS through their online banking app. So uh, if you see something you want to buy from, say, Mighty Ape or KFC or one of the one of the other dozens of uh, uh, retailers K- Wait a minute, online. KFC? KFC. You just made that up. Can no. You, can you buy KFC online? You, you certainly can. Guess what I'm hey, having Hey, that's dinner. taken care of. Yes, chicken dinner for you, my friend. Uh, you can normally, of course, if you go online and shop, you pay with a credit card. But there are a whole raft of people uh, who either don't have credit cards, don't want to use credit cards, can't get them, kids for instance, who still have money but can't uh, can't shop online. So online FPOS is a way of getting around that. Use your own money, it comes straight out of your account. I prefer to use other people's money, yeah, I'll oh, be honest. Too. You know, I'm a big fan of other people's money. Um, let's it's just, like let's other people's wine, really, isn't it? But oh, uh, you know, you were going to say other people's wives, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a different conversation. Different, a different show. Conversation, different that's a different show. Sunday social. That's, that, that's, um, the sub, that's the subtweet. That's, that's right. So uh, the problem has always been, though, that um, trying to make a one-off transaction payment through your through your bank account uh, online involves putting in all of your details it's and all your numbers. It's a nightmare. Or malarkey. It is a malarkey. It is, it is very difficult. This is much easier. All you do is you put in your phone number. Uh, it sends a text to your uh, online banking app. You authorize it. Bob's your uncle. Payments made. Job done. Takes you far less time than faffing around with your credit card or uh, putting in all those uh, details. So highly recommended. Very good stuff. So the co-op. So you need to be a cooperative bank customer. You do. You do. ASB's been doing it for a while. Co-op, co-ops just join the party. The other banks are having a look at it. But if anybody wants to ring their bank and say, "Why can't I spend my own money online?" Um, feel free to do so. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a service that's um, uh, been a long time coming and is well well worth waiting for. And they can exert that pressure. Well, that, that's kind of good. That's that kind of good. That is. I quite like it. New I, Zealand I'm first. A big fan of it. You, uh, you'd like to be able to say that. Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, because of the way New Zealand's FPOS system works, yeah, I think it's probably a world first. I think it's probably a world first. Well, you you think probably you, you think you probably perhaps heard it here first. Might Look well be. <laughs> If on, I did online, some research, on, online, we'll ask Lillian. Online FPOS from Cooperative Bank. Now, this next one is interesting. Talking about doing your research. So, mm. so one of the one of the big problems with online research is you research something, you think, well, I've found a story online, and therefore it is true. But of course, it isn't. It isn't. It, it isn't. so often isn't. And Facebook's been sort of playing with this. They've been allowing people to uh, highlight fake news, but now oh, Twitter fabulous. Now Twitter has fa- uh, has, has finally uh, gotten on the bandwagon. There's two sides to the story. Firstly, they're, they're allowing people to do it. Yeah, which is very good. 
It's very good. Because there's a lot of fake nonsense going on out there, and I'm forever referring people to Snopes.com, you, uh, you know, pointing out the, the blindingly obvious isn't, um, isn't actually true. So we, well, we, should, we should sidetrack into that. So Snopes.com is a, a basic, well, kind of it's a, a crowd... buster. It's a crowdsourced myth-busting website that's yeah. moderated by, uh, famously described as a couple of retired school teachers, right? I think, I think that's right. Something yeah, yeah. Like they that. are very, very pedantic school teachers. They are very um, pedantic school teachers. So you've got to be quite accurate when you are um, uh, submitting stuff. So, but in the absence of Snopes.com, so Twitter is allowing people to report fake news mm. and and hopefully uh, re- you know, remove those 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 tweets from the site. But but the biggest story is it's taking them until now to do it, and they're only kind of doing it. Yeah. Um, but that that's kind of that's kind of the the story of Twitter, isn't it? As much as, much as I love Twitter, um, they just don't they have don't any resource, do and they don't. Yeah. They don't have any money, and and no. Did, 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 I, I dug some stories out because a couple of weeks ago, and I think this is, I think these stories are true, Paul. Oh, they could be. I'd we'll run them past Snopes. We'll you tell ru- us, we'll and then ru- we'll check. Okay, so here's my first fact: uh, Facebook, uh, two billion users. Two billion users. We That's think, yes. we think we think we believe that. Yeah. And they, from those two billion users, they're making a profit of ten billion dollars a year. That sounds low. Five five dollars per person. Yeah, but they are low. they are um, investing an awful lot. Don't forget this is profit. So they do spend yeah. a huge amount of money on R and D and pouring it back food. in. And food. And food. Have you been to Facebook? I have not been to Facebook. Been do to they fa- feed you well? You've been I, to Facebook. I've been to Facebook a couple of times. The actual Facebook. The, with actual, the big book. The actual Facebook. With the face there, on there it. There was just a book. Yeah. Just, <laughs> yeah they, just, they take you into a room and, 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 there and, it is. and, and, and Mark says, Well this is the Facebook. Yeah. No, uh, the Facebook campus at Menlo Park in uh, San Francisco, which right. used, used to be Sun Microsystems. Oh, I remember Sun. Sun was a great big computing it company, was. right? Yeah, and yeah, they huge. built this enormous campus and then fell over. Office block, yeah. Well, office office park. Facebook bought it, expanded it. But honestly, and we are so digressing, but we'll talk about it because it's interesting. Um, it is basically geek wonderland. Ah. Oh. So, in addition to acres and acres of buildings full of geeks and computers and beanbags and all that sort and of stuff. pool tables and... Well, not just pool tables. There's a music room. Oh, so this is a bit, So, this, you can jam in your lunch break. Yeah, a room yeah, full yeah. of electric guitars and sure. drum kits and microphones okay. and all that jazz. <laughs> There's a gymnasium, of course, which oh, is just sort of boring. Of course. There's um, a woodworking shop. So with lathes and chisels. No, not with lathes, but oh, with, 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 lathes. with chisels and saws and hammers and 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 lumber. So if if you get if you get a bit bored, <laughs> you can build a trebuchet. And, yeah, and you, launch an attack on somebody. Exactly. Else. If you get a bit bored making your your Facebooky stuff, you know your your, yeah. your ones and zeros, you just go to wood shop and make make <laughs> some wood things. The interesting thing was though, um, you know, and the the two times I've had a look around yeah. there. Neither of them were very busy. I was going to say, suspect, does anybody use them? They're well, not really encouraged. Well, I suspect maybe people use them at three in the morning, but during yes. sort of daylight hours. Um, You're expected I don't think to you be want at your cubicle <coughs> churning out. I, I yes. think you are expected to be mm. in your cubicle. But the, the thing that really stuck in my mind was the food. Yeah, it was a good... The food. It was good. It was free. It was plentiful. Um, endless. And the arms race that goes on in Silicon Valley between the tech companies yes, yeah, yeah. to attract and retain the top chefs. Yeah. So, you know... So they can feed the top coders. Who yeah. Paul, Paul Brislin has been poached from yep. from Fitbit to <laughs> Facebook to, to serve up his signature pizza. That's at, uh, fabulous. At, which is absolutely, totally... It's bonkers. I'd like to encourage that here. You know, I'd like more employers to think, uh, instead of just saying you can, you can bring your own food, I mean, does Fonterra 
provide milk to all the stuff? Uh, Fonterra does. Fonterra has, I think Fonterra has a cheese day and they have uh, an ice Jesus. cream. Jesus. Uh, no, no, exactly. They have an ice cream day and I know they have a very, very good uh, cafeteria. Very ice cream day. Oh, they do have a good cafe downstairs, but it's not free to the staff, is it? Everyone no, pays. but, it, but, it, but, it, but it's pays. pretty cheap. Do you know... What you could do, what you could do is not pay, not pay in dollars and cents. Yeah. But this is going to appeal to you, this last story, before we, we, we do have to pay some bills and do a bit of an air break. Oh, dear. But um, swag. You're a big fan of swag. Oh, I love You're swag. I don't get enough swag anymore. Nobody Let, sends me swag. Let's say what, let's let's uh, explain what swag is. Swag, swag are the caps with uh, logos on for companies that no longer exist and T-shirts that tell you all about how exciting the product is and squeezy balls and um, key rings and all that, all that dangly ro- all stuff. Or that Rocket Lab. Or that t- Rocket Lab T-shirt, t-shirt that I'm currently wearing. I actually paid for this. Can you believe paying for a T-shirt? Uh, it's not swag. No, it's not. It's post swag. So this is swag of the it's week. Swagger. I should do swag sw- of the week. I'm going to do swag of the week. Yep. So this is Apple sneakers. Did you even oh, know that there were Apple sneakers? I have never seen a pair of Apple sneakers. No. No. Well, if you had, you should. If you do, you should steal them. You should kill steal whoever them. is wearing them yep. and steal them because Apple sneakers, which were they basically look like you know those white Reeboks that used to be the oh thing yeah to yeah wear 90s in the, yeah in yeah, the yeah early 90s, 90s. Yeah, yeah yeah they have the old um, rainbow Apple logo on the side which nice. was you know back from when it was cool. They could be bought uh, on the open market just 10 years ago. People were, were buying and selling them for about 80 bucks um, <laughs> because, you know... Because, you know, you know yeah, it's, it's, an, it's, a, it's a nicety, nice to have. And, and what are they Originally, they would have been free. Um, they are available online for auction at the moment Yes, uh, at, a, at a site called Heritage Auctions. They are expecting to get $30,000 U.S., for Apple-branded sneakers from the 90s. Get out. That's Get ridiculous. Out. Put on your Apple-branded sneakers, lace them up, and get out of <laughs> my sight. Unless you've actually got some. Uh, in, in which, which case, case uh, yeah, text 3920, keyword live, tell me where they are, and I'll come round and collect them. After the break, Mr. Brislin's surefire tips for a digitally-enabled, stress-free second week of the school holidays. Back soon. It's Sunday Social. And welcome back to Sunday Social. And yes, indeed, there are a bazillion crappy apps out there, but some of them are worth your, mm, I was going to say worth your hard-earned dollars, but most of them are free. Some of them are worth your download. And luckily, Paul and I have found some that are going to make that difficult second week of the school holidays just fly by, have we not? Oh, we have. We have, particularly if it's raining and miserable and you don't want to go outside. What are the chances mm. in August of in... it being raining? And... <laughs> well, now here's the thing. July. Paul. It may be miserable. Yes. No, no, I'll rephrase that. The weather is not miserable. You are. Oh, look, you're you going to be one of those Scottish people who says there's no such thing as bad weather, just inappropriate clothing. Exactly right. Yes. But, but sometimes you've just got to stay inside and play computer games. You do. And, and you've got one which is kind of a, a simple way into virtual reality. Let's talk about the technology first. That's right. A really cheap and simple way to turn any smartphone into a virtual reality headset. That's right. So uh, real virtual reality headsets cost thousands of dollars. You strap them on your head and you look like um, a goober, really. You, look, you look like a politician you in do. a photo op. <laughs> yeah. And I've tried to get many a politician to wear them, but they quite resist these days. It's quite difficult. However, Google has a way around this, and it's called Google Cardboard. And uh, if you Google Google Cardboard, because that's quite a good line, so I'm going to use that, uh, you will find dozens of these things out there. Uh, buy them, get them shipped in. You can buy them in some of the uh, stores. Um, I've seen them in a two 
$2 shop, for instance. In um, a $2 shop? In a $2 shop. Outrageous. Uh, and you, but, you but make what up is this it? thing. What is it's, it? It's, it is a frame that you slot your phone into and you then strap to the front of your head. So your phone screen becomes the uh, the the sort of inbuilt inside the goggles that you're looking at. So the the cool thing about this for a school holiday activity is that uh, you know going to the two dollar shop to buy the thing. That's right. And then taking it home and assembling it is actually a pretty good holiday activity in, in and itself. of itself. I must have bought a really fiendishly complicated one when they first came out because it took me about an hour <laughs> and I had three pieces left over at the end. Of oh, it. that's never a good. It time. was like the I, I bought mine from IKEA. Is that a is, uh, the, is it, that, that might explain it. Did Is you it a, get the elastic band to go around the back of your head? I didn't. I had to hold, oh, I had you had to hold, to hold yours on. Yeah. I think my Google Cardboard was called Grodbur or mm. something with, two, with, with you know, little, little dots above the O. No, that, all that's a lie. So you fold this thing out of cardboard. Yep. You f- slot your phone in. They, they always have little plastic lenses which allows your phone to be, you know, an Quite inch from your eyes. Yeah, that's and, right. And, and, that's and right. still work. But then what do you do with it? You've got it. You, you how, well, then, how do you get into this virtual world? That's right. Then you download a game like Night Zoo Keeper VR, which is a free game. Uh, Night Zoo Keeper was a game that came out a few years ago, and they've updated it for this virtual reality experience. It portrays, it, it blasts two, uh, two screens. Um, your, your screen is split in two, so you, you're looking through a left eye and through a right eye at this thing. Uh, so you've got to have it in the goggles or held up quite close to your eyes. And then as you look over to your right and you turn you're in a 3d you're in a world. 3d world you're inside so you never control the phone by pressing buttons or tapping on the screen you just look around and you find yourself immersed in this really quite fun creative um storytelling environment which is uh which is bags of fun for the kids although you do want to keep a a, a rein on them because they'll wander around the place with this headset on and bump into things and, and, and scare and the cat walk walk into the heater that's right or mm. fall off the deck or something useful yeah. like that so, well but, but yes. if, it's, if it's if it's above a certain height it'll be I think Fine. It'll be in, accord- in accordance with its council permit. Exactly. So the name of the app is Night Zookeeper VR. There's right. lots of virtual reality apps out there. But step one is to get yourself a Google Cardboard, a little kit set that you fold up, glue, stick together, use the double-sided tape, exactly. slot your phone in to make it into a magical thing. Make and sure it suits your phone because yes, they're different size different phones, phone. different models. And yeah. I will point out it works for iPhone and Android. Absolutely. And Google thing. That's really cool. So you've got you've got one, though, a game which your daughter, oh, yes. your daughter and My regular panellist has, has been uh, obsessing over. Bless her, though, because it's a word game. It is, it is, and I don't really mind them playing this one. It's called Word Cookies, and... And basically, you've ever played Boggle? You mix up I've a bunch of letters. I've never played Boggle. Boggle looks like um, I don't know, um, over-engineered Scrabble to me. Ah, uh, yeah, I can see where you're coming from. It's it's kind of similar. It's you got get, letters. You shake up a bunch of letters, and you get um, five or six letters. You've got to make up as that's many words as possible. That's what I hear when they they came up with the name for Brodgur, which but was that's the, they just <laughs> they, they just play, they played Boggle. Play Boggle till they got a uh, useful Brodgur. This one is kind of predetermined, so you get um, six letters. Uh, per round, uh, you get it six letters, and they've already defined the words for you. So it's great for those kids who are just starting out um, building their vocabulary. Oh, so, so this is of, this is this is your game Word Cookies. That we're yes, about. this is Word Cookies. Yes, I should probably introduce it, shouldn't I? It's Word, Word cookies. cookies. It's free, although there's in-app purchases. So if you really oh, want to buy is. lots of coins, so you can get lots of hints, then away you go. But you don't need to. You can do it for free. Um, and there are various levels. It gets slightly harder as you go along. Uh, it gives you um, anywhere you've got to, each level you've got to you know, find anywhere from about 10 to 20 words, 
made out of these six letters that they've assembled for you. And you just swipe and your finger it, over the, is over it the a speed thing. thing? Is it a no, speed thing? no, it's just fiendishly difficult. Quite often you can find the, the big word, the six-letter word, quite quickly, but then there are maybe eight or, eight or nine three-letter words that made up out of this mesh of letters, and you can spend hours trying to find that one really? last one that's just... Because you, you get kind of blind to it you just see the same letters this, over this and over sounds again. fantastic so this is this is here you are child play, yeah play this six that's hours, right six hours later they're still playing they're still playing and i actually have to take the phone off my youngest daughter and say no it is time for bed and please stop D- learning D- daddy needs his social oh, media I, I need i need my device back and um and the, she's loving it and the kids at school are arguing about you know come on you can do this level and the levels are all named it's called cookies so they're all named after chocolate chip chocolates and, yeah exactly that so is magnificent. It, it's quite good fun. And it sounds to me like it follows that, that, that those fundamental two requirements for a good video game, right? Easy to learn. Yep. Hard to master. Hard to, hard to master. Which is that's brilliant. exactly right. Hey, I've got, I've got, this is, not, got? this is not the first time this has appeared on the show, but uh, it is a school holiday perennial. And I think we named it one of our apps of the year last Christmas or the Christmas before, but I still stand by it. This is a great one if the sun comes out or, yep. or as your Scottish forebears would say, yeah. if, you've got if, enough you've got clothes, if you've got enough clothes on. Yeah. This is an app called geocaching now geocaching is not just an app it's a sort of a nerdy it's a way of life uh, it's a way of life a nerdy map sport that's been uh popular around the world for 20 years maybe and the idea of it is you download the free geocaching app and essentially it sends you on a real world treasure hunt so we've all played um pokemon go yeah which is a... a oh, real, I remember Pokemon Go. Yeah, those were great. Oh, remember the, the, the early 2010s? Yeah. Um, Pokemon Go was about, uh, you know, getting you off your, off your bum and going out in the park to find That's something right. imaginary. Well, what geocaching does is get you off your bum. There's a theme here. There is. Out into the park to find something real. Ooh. So wherever you are in the world, and there are hundreds of thousands of caches. So a cache is... A little hidey hole of stuff. stuff. A little collection of stuff. Yes. And there's a computer term, but this is the real world term. So here I am. I'm in in Lower Hutt. I open up my phone and it says, right, well, you know, within a kilometre of you, and this is probably true, there are 10 caches. Whoa. Off you go. Get out. Does it give you clues? Does it It gives you you clues. It Ah. gives you an approximate location and it gives you the size. And then it's down to you to hunt this thing down and find it. And often (laughs) it'll be tiny. And it'll yep. be fiendishly well hidden, but the directions will be generally accurate and true. So who's who's hidden them? Just uh, other, other other players, other, other even nerdier than oh, us. Like uh, Geocaches. So a geocache typically might be a a little one of those click clack plastic boxes oh, yes, that you meant yep. to keep your food leftovers in, but yep. no one ever does. Yep. And inside it will be a little notebook where you right. can... Well, in the olden days, you'd leave a note leave saying... Leave a little note. It took me, it took me ages to find. Um, really you, well you hidden. scoundrel. Go yes. you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and little trinkets. And the trinkets are not so important anymore. No. You know, they're like the sort of things you'd find in a um, Christmas cracker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really. Yeah. Give a trinket, take a trinket. That's right. Uh, but these days, people leave the notes and hints digitally on the, on the app. Ah. And this really opened my eyes. I've got to say i had no idea how popular this was until i i tried it in the last school holidays with the kids and they enjoy it yep yep they, they do like it. getting it out quite competitive and so look there's one up that muddy slope under that tree <laughs> off you go <laughs> off you go i'll kids. be i'll be i'll be sitting here on this warm park bench yeah but 
often this 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 is this parallel society that exists around us all the time. It's like mm. the Matrix. You'll be out there looking for a cache in some obscure, you know, South Auckland shopping centre. Yeah. And then you'll catch the eye of someone else sort of wandering around checking their phone now and then you'll go, holy... Oh, I know what you're holy doing. Holy moly. They also minute. are looking for the geocache. Or they've beamed down from the Starship Enterprise and they're and wandering around looking, looking for signs of life. They're looking, yes. looking for tribbles or That's something. right. And, and, of course, the, the ethics, um, the, the culture of geocaching is such that you, you don't acknowledge the other person. Oh, do you not? No, gosh. Oh, no. you don't rush up and go, fellow nerd, no, welcome, the, hail fellow. Because they might not be a geocacher. Oh, you might embarrass but yourself. You might embarrass yourself. Oh, it's an English game then. It's all about oh, yeah, embarrassment. Very, yeah, very, very social. They might actually be a, and this is the term. This is the term. Use, they might actually be a muggle. Oh, no. I know, oh, I know. Oh, brilliant. Straight Fabulous. out of Thanks, Harry, JK. Straight out of Harry Potter. So geocaching, my absolute, uh, you know, get the kids off get the, the kids couch. Get the kids out. Yep. App of the mm, decade. Decade. Well, by decade the second moment. week of the holidays, you've got to get them out, haven't you? Get out. Yeah, you absolutely do. So it costs nothing. There's in-app purchases. I don't know what the in-app purchases were. You don't need them. You don't no. need the premium version. Just get the cheap version. Uh, it works all over New Zealand. You, there, there'll, there'll be, there'll be. I guarantee, without checking, I tell you, there will be geocaches up Mount Cook. Yep, guarantee it. Guarantee it. They're all over the place. Brilliant. There are geocaches under the ocean. I think for a while there, there was a geocache on the International Space Station. Ah. Oh. Although how the GPS aspect of that app worked, I don't know. Because, I imagine if you can get they, there, they they'll, they'll let you find it. Yeah, they'll help you out. Yeah, you, you can you can <laughs> yeah. you can unlock that badge. So those are our three school holiday apps. So the first one, get Google Cardboard. It's a it's a it's literally a piece of cardboard that turns your smartphone into a virtual reality headset. It's going to keep, keep fun. It'll keep the kids busy buying it. Making it, using it, breaking it, arguing about it, and throwing it in the bin and exactly. asking for another one. So there's there's a whole Get two to, days. Buy two. And and the uh, and the the virtual the, the zookeeper VR app, a night zookeeper VR yep. app is, is a good one to have with that. Uh, word cookie, word cookies. Yep. Bag, hours of fun, and uh, if they're forced to, they might actually learn something. Accept cookie. Yes. Yes. Accept cookie. Yes. Accept cookie. <laughs> Me, me like cookie. Me like cookie. <laughs> and finally, my app of forever, of course, is geocaching. Download it. Don't worry about the weather. Get out there and give it a go. Hey, thank you so much for tuning in tonight to Sunday Social. My first half guest, Lillian Grace from Figure NZ. Mr. Paul Brislin joining me with the apps and social media news. And Mr. Braden Leggett in the booth, keeping it real. Stay tuned for Graham Hill and the Weekend Variety Wireless. I'm Vaughan Davis. Nighty night.